a minute, wait turn, a minute. On the radio. turn on the radio My homie got a new show and it's time to play it's it though play it I hope you got in tune got He talking bigger business big He make a lot of moves lot of He moves. talking Skakatoon I'm Skakatoon and this is Technory Live with Hey Ma Truckin' Broad <laughs> You have it You are the founder of Source. Welcome to the show Thank you, hi uh, So uh, this is going to be a fun show I can tell already uh, Before we get into sort of your journey as a female founder And just everything that you're into Which are, from my list it looks like a lot of things you're into uh, Let's first start with what is Pediasource.com Pediasource is an online platform that connects parents To behavior learning and uh, developmental specialists on the phone Okay what would it be like? I am. I think I probably have a ton of behavioral problems as a child. <laughs> what? What would it, I? I'm have just they gone guessing. away, Scott? No, they're not. They've not gone away. If you, as you can tell, most of them are still worse than they ever were. Uh, what would an experience for, like, say, my mom, if we were, to, if this existed when I was a child, what would it look like for my mom? Like, what is she looking for, and and what is she, what does the experience on Pediasource.com look like for for a parent? So a media source, what you need is, um, you know, we, we basically have an intake form. You get on the form online and you spit out everything that's problematic. Scott does X, Y, Z. This is problematic. How do I solve it? And what we do is, you know, you have two options. You can either say, I have no clue who I need. Can you please tell me what kind of help I need for Scott? <laughs> Let me tell you this. I, I, I got dropped. I hated going to daycare so much. Not that this is like an actual behavioral problem, but I think it's a, a symptom. I hated it so much that one day my mom was driving me to uh, this place called Children's World, and I took out a piece of paper while we were in the car and I drew like where we like the turns, how long we were going before the turn, and then they dropped me off. When I got there and everyone was supposed to go swimming, I literally went into the like the bathroom, changed clothing, escaped. And walked home and hidden tree so that I didn't have to be there anymore. My mom, when it came time for like pickup, whatever, they called and were like, uh, we don't know where your kid's at. And my mom like called the police. She did all this stuff, like trying to find me. And I just like, as soon as the three o'clock bell rang, I jumped down from the tree right at my house and, and came, <laughs> came walking in. How old were you? Uh, preschool. The fact that you had the attention span to sit in that tree for that long, I have to say, well done. Yeah, I had, oh, I brought my bag. I, I planned for it. I brought a lunch bag, which was filled with, I don't know, what I, whatever I could reach in the refrigerator. No, you're just a touch devious there, aren't you? Oh, yeah. And I, I had, I brought like my little <laughs> army men to play with. Like I was having a ball. Are you at all traumatized by anything that has the word children's and world in it now? No, I'm good with it. I just, right. uh, it was a terrible, I didn't, no, it was not for me. All right. Anyway, so but so like that's an example. Yeah, what does she do she next? Say, look, I don't know what to do with Scott. These are the problems. And we would match her with the right kind of specialists to talk to. She would put in a credit card to request the number of, of you know, the number of days or times that she has available where she can speak to specialists. Or she could say, look, I know exactly the kind of specialist I need to talk to. Can you connect me to one of these people? Yep. And uh, the thing about Pediasource, and, uh, you know, Pediasource is a first of its kind. It doesn't exist right now as we speak uh, because I don't know why, because it was waiting for me to show up. It's a good good start. I don't know. But um, parents are now empowered because they can speak for as long or a short amount of time as they want. So we're empowering parents while monetizing on the clinician side of things. Typically, clinicians don't get paid to triage these calls. They don't, you know, when you call a clinic and say, hey, Scott's doing this. Yeah. Do I need your help or do I need someone else's help? They're like, well, you Make know, yeah, maybe, but can you, I'll tell you when I can get back to you. I'll, I'll get back to you. Yep. Clinicians don't get paid for that. 
So being a double-sided marketplace makes this, um, you know, a little complex for for Pediasource, but nothing we can't really handle. More importantly, it benefits both the clinician and the parents by empowering both of them. Very cool. I, I mean, it's, I'm glad that this problem found you, because otherwise they wouldn't have the solution. Uh, let's talk a little bit about you in general. Like, as you, what made you, what inspired you to actually build this, and what is the mission? You know, what has the process been like chasing after this mission? Um, say that to me once more. Yeah. What What inspired you to actually try to pursue this mission, and then what has it been like actually chasing after? tackling Pediasource? So the inspiration was my work over the past 20 years, right? I've been a clinician for 20 years as a pediatric sensory specialist here. And my mission has always been how to empower children. And that's a huge umbrella. There's so many things you can do with it. Yeah. But being a clinician, it helped me narrow my focus. Um, part of it was, you know, I'd be at dinner parties or cocktail parties or walking around the zoo, either as a single therapist who hasn't been who wasn't married yet or now is a mom of two kids you know I'd have I'd be fielding questions like oh my child is wackadoo or my child does x y and z is this normal or I'm seeing someone for learning issues should I change this person out Uh, how you know and I would I would be that that person that friends or people that didn't even know me actually the kind of um, you strike me as one of those people who like random people would come up to and ask questions like you just I don't know why but I feel like if I saw you walking by Lincoln Park Zoo I'd be like hey I, I might even ask you why my Bazenji doesn't work out. Like, the dog doesn't even behaving well. Yeah, didgeridoo is not is not working as well. He's he's just not you know he's not he doesn't listen. That's but I would ask you because you just seem like someone who'd know the answer to this question. Well, with regards to clinical work, I, I did get a lot of those questions, and I do. And Pediasource came out of that. You know how do we? You know you know I was telling. Steve here, my, my, my strategist and my, my publicity guru, uh, you know, he, he, I was saying, you know, you can shop for 10 kinds or five kinds of toenail clippers on Amazon, but you cannot shop or find the right kind of specialist for your child. Yeah. You, don't, you know, an aerial perspective of what's out there, laying out a topographical plan for who's right, who's not right. Do I need someone new? Do I need to add someone to my team? Or do I need to just maybe wait and sit it out? I feel like, you know, one of the things that I don't even, I mean, maybe this is part of your marketing. I, I haven't actually looked far enough into the site to, to get to this, and you'll correct me if I'm wrong. Um, I, I feel like, and again, I'm also not a parent yet, so maybe that's part of it. <laughs> but I, I feel that there's like a couple of buckets that you that we describe kids with. Oh, he's autistic, or he has this, or he has that, or it's, you know, whatever. Name name your ADD, hyper HDHD, whatever. That parents gravitate towards that must be what my kid suffers from and throw them in the buckets and look for for help around that and then the other only other alternative is to type in on google different symptoms you're seeing of your kid which then take you to webmd which then give you the worst possible scenarios for things going on and there isn't really a place for parents to be like i I just want to find out if this is normal i just want to find out like i don't need to like change everything i just want to find someone who can you know, affirm or disaffirm what I'm thinking, give me some sort of guidance. Now there is with Pediasource, but I I think, am I wrong in that? Like, You are incredibly correct. I think the, the idea of getting questions specifically for your child answered by experts yes. on the phone doesn't quite exist. Yeah. And the reason 
why parents are incredibly overwhelmed is because this democratization of um, information on the interweb yeah. <laughs> has made it incredibly overwhelming for parents to be able to cut through the confusion, to be able to say, look, I have this problem. Who do I go to? And getting the answer right from an expert. I mean, I just connected a call recently for, for a client or a parent in Baton Rouge, Louisiana, to an expert here in Chicago. And afterwards, when I was talking to the client to say, hey, how was your call? How did it go? Did you like it? She goes, I have to tell you, she said, Hema, to get the answer specifically from an expert about my child was so reassuring. As a mother, she goes, I'm a physician. I know exactly what to do in the world of medicine, and yet I'm so lost. But to hear it from an expert who deals with behavior makes a big difference as opposed to Googling it. Yeah. So, yeah. Well, we fill out, the other thing is like we, we fill our own conjecture into whatever we think the problem is. And so when we start writing down these things that we identify with our kids, it's like our own kind of version of it. You know what I'm saying? It's yeah, like yeah. When, you don't, when you don't speak to an expert, you become the expert on your own. And you just start writing random gibberish in and searching for stuff, and it comes back with like, you know, your kid's you know problem child, whatever. And then you go to the school and go, well, you don't even tell them because you're embarrassed. You don't tell them that I found this out on Google. You go to the school and you're like, oh, you know, I think he has this or this or this, and struggles at this and this. And the school then starts changing their curriculum with this kid, and Absolutely. the kid now goes down the wrong path. Absolutely. And you could have you never even spoke to an expert. You looked at Google. Well, to every hammer, you know, everything to a hammer, everything is a nail. Right. Yep. So if you start going down that path, it's hard to turn back around. I mean, I think that what we found in our research is eighty percent of parents who use online um, online help or research to find answers for their children um, find that, oh, I, I, let, me, let me rephrase that. 80% of parents who are online look for health answers via the web. But just a sliver of them say that that information is accurate and safe. Yeah. Under 25% of that, say, of the and parents. And they still use it. <laughs> And, but 50% of those parents actually still want that advice or information that they get online corroborated by a healthcare professional, which means, Scott, most of these parents, at least half of these parents, are not, until they get this, this information that they find online corroborated by an expert, they don't get any help. Yeah. What does that tell you about the children out there? They're not getting help, or they're not getting the right kind of help. But if, they can, if we connect them to the expert on the phone, and we don't have to commit them to an hour, for God's sakes. I mean, it's not necessary. Maybe a 20-minute conversation. And if you need a deeper dive, do a deeper dive. Yeah. But being able to connect directly to a specialist on the phone, now you've got next steps. Yeah, for sure. No, it's very interesting. I, I think it's it's a, it definitely fills a need that, for whatever reason, did not seem to be filled. I think a lot of it does come down, like you mentioned, that people don't cooperate it. So it's like they just take this information as whatever's available like obviously it must be it must be true or or if it's if it's not searchable then it must not be out there because everything is on the internet and so they don't end up taking those extra steps so this is uh, i think a very big step forward in, in being able to actually identify properly identify like some of the problems that are going on with our kids um on more of a personal note for you what has the the journey been like going from clinician to actually building out something like this and, and it's a different job i mean you have to be I liken the entrepreneurial role as sort of a politician. You have to always be, you know, 
supposedly doing the work behind the scenes to get the to get the job done but you also need to be raising capital raising awareness going marketing and all this other stuff what is what has it been like going from one side of the phone to the other you know scott i i the only thing i can think of that likens my experience now as an entrepreneur in this in this tech world um coming from that being of a, of a clinician is very much like my journey of being an immigrant in the u.s i came here a little under 30 years ago and i think um and my mom and I still talk about how much I had in my pocket when I came here. And I'm originally from, from Malaysia. And I have to say, I think it was 500 and some dollars. And she left me when I was um, in high school. And I rented a room in someone's home and, and, and you know, found my way here to Chicago, the University of Chicago. A total plug for UC. But, um, in a room full of Northwestern people. Oh, and this, and love it's been, it's been, Come on, no, Walsh, I, I tell people. I, I, I love, I love, love. GoCats, but it's just funny because we had, we had like four consecutive Northwestern people out and finally you're like, this is a maroon coming through. Here we go. <laughs> um, I finished clinicals at the University of Chicago. I started in upstate New York, the University of Buffalo. And, um, you know, the only thing I can say about this journey, I, I, I feel like I've always been an entrepreneur of sorts. Being an immigrant here with less than 500 and some dollars in my pocket when the, the exchange rate was five ringgit to one U.S. and renting a room in high school, um, it's all about being resourceful. And more than anything else, Scott, I really think it's being vulnerable point from a point of strength. Yeah. And I think um, if you believe in the cause... And you believe that maybe you are the right messenger and you are the right person to bring this to fruition. And you come from a point of strength, but you're vulnerable enough to ask for help. You can get to those next steps. So um, this particular journey um, in this tech world has been especially difficult because I've got two um, young, darling, crazy, lovely daughters who are seven and nine. um, Do you need to speak to a clinician? Sorry? Do you need to speak to a clinician? Oh, I do all the time. <laughs> mainstreaming, mainstreaming help for our kids should not be a bad thing. No, I agree. If you need help, we got to get it. You know, yeah. a friend of mine said... I'd rather that than have the kid go bonkers and end up like... And end up in a tree. Yeah. For many well, hey, hours. hey, You know, hey, playing hey. with his army, man. And you <laughs> never know. You know what? You know... Hey, I was a lord of my manor. That's all I, I know. It. I love it. But a friend of mine said, you know, when you land in L.A., you know, they almost assign you a, a therapist. And yeah. it's, it's the cool thing to do. I think that regardless of whether it's therapy or learning specialists, that is what, you know, Pediasource is a pediatric platform that connects parents to experts in learning, behavior, and development, which means whether it's learning issues, whether it's sleep issues, potty training, or depression, or anxiety. I mean, we have, you know, 60 to 80 percent of our children are, are undiagnosed with depression and anxiety, all ages of our children. Yeah. Why? Because of what you and I talked about just now, right? If parents are trying to noodle through the internet and then they still want 50% of them want to corroborate this with an expert but they can't get in to see one or they're waiting so long to get to see one the child's still waiting out there to get that but coming back to what you talked to me about and what you asked me about with regards to this journey being able to balance being a mommy loving being a mom and being an entrepreneur uh, and bringing back, it's almost like muscle memory my years of being an immigrant and that's sort of that, that, that exhilarating rush of saying how do I get to my next steps? Who's going to help me? Yeah. Um, is is exhilarating? Can be daunting, but like yep. I tell my girls, it's okay to be scared when you when when you, if you can be brave. <laughs> yeah. No. I, honestly, <laughs> that's believe the, in the cause. That is for me. Started off as a fear when I entered the entrepreneurial world uh, after coming out of Northwestern. I was like, you know, this is crazy. I don't know anybody, and I've got like I I, I surrounded myself with people I knew. Huge mistake. 
Um, <laughs> it was. I don't. I don't know. If that's a huge mistake for everyone, but I think it is. If 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 the reasons are because you're you're fearful, because then what ends up happening is you end up just hanging out with those people doing the things you know, and you don't reach out and meet new people and experience new things. And so for me, it was a crutch, and I was the the fear was not. Um, it did not play a positive role in developing the business. I almost became spiteful of it. I would do business and do this work, and it just was like, ugh, or just keep doing it, keep making money. Uh, and, and it wasn't fun or fulfilling. And over time, uh, through talking and working with lots of other entrepreneurs, I fell in love with and obsessed with this sort of uh, nothing is ever done. There's always another thing. There's always another opportunity. There's always something you can do to make it better. And, and it becomes this what, what the average person would call very stressful and daunting. I now call like my comfort zone. My comfort yeah. zone is walking into a room full of complete strangers of every business, going into a city like recently, random sidebar, but recently I went to New York and I hadn't been to New York for a long time. And uh, any time before now, if I went to New York, I would have been like, looking through my Rolodex, trying to find people I know to like set up things that I could be comfortable. I went flying solo. Ironically, was on the plane with my lawyer. That was a coincidence. Uh, but landed and was like, boom, I did meetings all over the city. I loved it because it was something, it was unknown. And I was just like, I am comfortable now solving the unknown and knowing that it's going to be crazy and it is whatever it is, but I'm going to do it. I think part of it is also experience, right? Yeah. If you've fallen, if you've fallen a few times, you're not as scared anymore, yep. right? So I think what I have now after all these years is that I've, I've fallen a lot more. Yep. And uh, while you can be nervous about the ride, you're not, you're not lost in it. And I think that's important. Well, for you, you walked on, on the tightrope as a high school student. There was no net. You're 500 bucks. And you've got to figure this out. So, I mean, that, there's no greater fear than having no place to live and be, you know, fresh from another country. And you're just like, here, here you go. Uh, and, you know, it's like, I feel like once you got past that, it was like every hurdle in front of you from there on out is sort of like a joke. <laughs> like, you know, well, like not that. literally, but. True that. But I, I think that whole, I, I think all of us feel that in different permutations, right? And I think um, using that and capitalizing on that to expound on whatever experience it is that you want to experience and making better of it, like you said just now, right? You know, I've got, I've got a mission or a, a, a cause to solve for. Yeah. I'm always looking for something. When I, I, I closed my clinic here in Lincoln Park for a little while, I mean, I dove into mommy world like crazy. And I think that's just what I do. I yeah. did dive into everything. Um, I'm a head first diver. Like that's, I'm all in and we'll figure it out. Like somewhere at the bottom of this, I'll figure out how to get this drain opened up so the water goes away before I drown. <laughs> I'll figure it out. I'll drink the water if I have right, to. Right. You know? Right. You know, and it is, it is building a plane while flying it. Right. Yeah. I mean, so that's, that's how to, that experience has been for me so far. And then I want to add just because it's a, uh, it's a big topic, and I think Chicago's sort of leading the way in this in the female founder area. As a female founder, what is the experience? You know, I, I ask this, I preface this first by saying I ask every female founder under what the experience is like, and I never mean it to be like, so as a woman running the business, <laughs> what is it like? I mean, literally, what is it about running a business as, as a woman that you think has been empowering and that you bring is valuable and, and just the, the, the general experience i think it's important that other females who haven't founded companies yet can find out that they can so i think 
what is different now than than what I hear? Again, I wasn't. This is the tech world is new to me, but what I hear now from my compadres in the tech world who've been in it for a long time than what it was before is that there are these women-led groups get get that give rise and give voice to other women founders and and people who are co-founding as well and people who are part of teams, um, but they give voice and. Um, pathways to do to do better within this yep. field that's newer but as a as a female founder i think it it depends on what exposure you allow yourself um onto and you know pick your circles well be a very strong presence um, and I don't know if it has so much to do with female versus male. I don't want to negate the fact that we are female founders, and of course it's been a lot harder, but I think part of it is because certain establishments have been in gear for so long with a with a certain kind of clientele or membership yep. that we haven't been a part of. It's like anything. You know, you, you, you go into a party and, and there's 15 people at a party and 12 people know each other. It's just harder to break into it. Yeah. So knowing what circles to just make yourself become a part of, whether it's female-led circles that give you a voice and give you a pathway and inroads into other um, um, communities and eddies, or or joining groups and and other um, uh, organizations that have men in them as well, you've got to stop throwing sand at the beach. I, I totally agree with you. I've said this numerous times at different events with female founder uh, hosted events like Capital One does the women who code. Um, yeah, yeah. I I feel like it's a lot of, the, and this goes for minority founders as well. I think that it goes, and I guess you're the perfect person to have here as minority and female founder. Uh, I, I think it reminds me a little bit of me when I started this business, the entrepreneurship lifestyle, and I started surrounding myself with my friends and I didn't get anywhere. I feel like one of the biggest challenges that I see with minority groups as well as female founder groups is that they surround themselves with people they know who look and sound just like them instead of doing what you said, which is to just go and join groups that and, and that are different from you. And I think that most people, not exclusively but in Chicago, a lot of opportunities are out there for anyone who is qualified. But you've got to take that step forward and, and get out from underneath your sort of your comfort zone and go join a group of people who don't look and sound like you and show them, you know, meet them and, and get your way into the, into the group. It's hard. It's of course it's, this it's is much easier hard. said than, than everyone done. has their own shorthand that you have to try and decipher yep. that you have to break into. Um, if you have an accent, it's harder as a woman, your, your shorthand is different. Understanding the, the, the shorthand of, of men, um, you know, your, your phraseologies, the things, the way you, you speak, yeah. it just by nature is different. Um, but I think on both sides of the aisle, if we can be accepting of that, uh, you know, 60-40, 40-60, we kind of go back and forth. But if we can net-net, we all sort of even out, I think the relationship will be a lot smoother. I totally agree. Um, and I think we will build a better Chicago that way and a better nation that I, way. I totally can, agree. I, I would love that. to see people just try. You know what I mean? Just just try it. Scott, if I may, my seven-year-old said to me the other day, um, she said, Mom, I, I said, Sloan, you, you, have to, you have to stand up for what you what you believe in. And um, you were talking about something at school, and she said, Mom, I know that 
I know I have to stand up and, and you know, you, you, you work very hard to be in America and you, you stand up for you and you're, you're brown and daddy's white and I don't know, maybe it is easier being white and all these conversations are streaming through this little girl's head. And she says, but mom, I know I have to stand up, but it's really hard and it takes a lot of my energy. And I just sometimes don't want to do it. And I think that whole stand up and that try part of it can be a little exhausting. Yep. And for parents of children out there who have needs, having a platform like Pediasource allows, allows these parents to pick up a phone and ask a question, to be able to map out your next steps quickly and efficiently so that we can build a better next generation, so that we can get to the answers faster. And parents tell me all the time, Boy, I think maybe I kind of knew that. I saw that on the internet. I, but hearing it from an expert made it so much better. It made it confirmed my thoughts. So standing up for yourself is hard, but collecting that team, whether you know them or not, um, is not that hard. Sometimes you've got to know where to look. And I hope that um, as we move along this process, parents and educators will will know to look for Pediasource so that they can get the answers that they need for their children. I could not have tied out this conversation any better than that. <laughs> there is no better way. Where do people go, uh, Hema? Where do people go to learn more about Pediasource? Pediasource, www.pediasource.com. Can't get easier than that. <laughs> Thank you so much. This has been amazing. Thanks, Scott. You can catch this episode of more at technori.com. Download the podcast on iTunes and stay connected by following us on Facebook and Twitter at Technori or follow me at Katoon. Boom, that's a wrap. 